0: Well, is authority good or bad for you? So, all of us in some ways live under authority, don't we? Government, employers, law enforcement, parents, professors. We all recognize structures of oversight in our lives. But as human beings, we are naturally suspicious of authority. And in part for good reason. After all, authority has been known to be abused. It gets us in trouble. It doesn't always act fairly. And surely this reality has impacted the local church as well. Over the past decade, for example, church leaders have been exposed seemingly, like innumerably, uh, as phonies, abusers of authority not who you thought they were, often leaving their followers shell-shocked, rattled. So is church authority still worth it? Can we still trust pastors? Do we even need pastors? Or are we better off, even safer perhaps, without them? Well, we're continuing this morning a series of sermons on the purpose of the local church. So let me give us a quick refresher. Two weeks ago, we thought about God's big picture plan. How he created Adam to fill the earth with men and women made in his image, thereby bringing glory to him as they filled the world with image bearers of Jesus or of God. But when sin marred that image, God still had a plan of redemption. And we argued two weeks ago that that plan has reached a pinnacle in the church. A people, like a new Adam, tasked with filling the earth once again with men and women conformed into the image of Christ, as Romans 8 puts it, filling the world once again with the glory of God. The church, in a way, is bringing us all the way back to the purpose of Genesis 1. Indeed, the church is the goal of God's plan, and the church is what Jesus is coming back to redeem and bring to himself in the new creation. Then, last week, we sort of brought that big, overarching 30,000-foot view, the big picture of church, down to earth a little, and saw how Christians, those joined to Christ, are also joined to his body, the church. And this joining, this becoming a member of Christ, is lived out in our lives in the, the local display of Christ's body, which is the local church. And we talked about last week how we live out our faith and we affirm each other's faith and we display the glory of Christ through the local church. Jesus is designed for us. Today, then, we're going to dig down deeper into the authority structure within those local churches. So certainly the the congregation itself has a role in authority. So we saw last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 how Paul encouraged the congregation to deal with sin in their midst. He laid a responsibility on the church. However, we also see in the New Testament two offices set up in the church. One of elder and one of deacon. Lord willing, we'll look at deacons in two weeks on October 3rd. But the role of elder or overseer, those words kind of mean the same thing in the New Testament, is this leadership position in the local church to shepherd, teach, and protect the flock. See, along with the imagery of a body with Christ as the head, the church is also pictured in the New Testament as a flock with Christ as its chief shepherd, employing under-shepherds beneath him. This authority is good. It comes from Jesus himself. So what do elders do? What's their role? Let me give us three truths to kind of hang our hat on this morning from the Bible about church elders. All right? First, elders are qualified men. Elders are qualified men. So if you've ever put together a job description, you know there are different portions to describe the person who might be best fit for the job, right? Right? Uh, and you can think about the the, the portions. So here's a description of the job as a summary. Uh, here are the qualifications, right, for the job. Here's the tasks for the job. And those qualifications are kind of not what the person would do, we'll get to that, but what the person must be. Perhaps they must have a degree in some sort of field or some experience in the field. And the same is true for the church elder. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. In this letter, Paul is writing to a local church pastor named Timothy, and he gives him qualifications for the elders and overseers in his church. Again, elder overseer, you can see in Acts and Titus how, how the, the, the writers in the New Testament will kind of go back and forth between those terms. They, they kind of mean the same thing. So follow along with me, starting there in verse 1. 1 Timothy 3, 1. Paul says this to Timothy, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So first off, we see elders are to be men. Paul says they are to be husbands of one wife. Now we can talk about this if you have questions about this later, but I don't think this means all elders must be husbands. But I do think this is an indication that all elders are to be men. Indeed, God consistently, in his word, places positions of spiritual oversight in the local church into the hands of men. Why? Well, there's plenty we could say. I'm sure you know that. Plenty we could say at this point, and we're not going to say much for our purposes this morning. But what I think should be said is that this qualification doesn't mean men are holier or more intelligent, or more capable than women. Many of you women can attest to that fact this morning, right? No, this is not a matter of capability or intelligence. This is a matter of God's designed authority structure. Throughout God's word, we see men and women are indisputably made alike in the image of God, equally valuable, equally loved by God, equally pursued by God, even while they often take up differing roles, what we call complementary roles. So in the church particularly, which is our topic today, God has clearly placed men in the role of spiritual oversight and leadership. However, as you see pretty much anywhere you see this idea of spiritual uh, oversight in the church belonging to males, you'll see that this leadership is not to be authoritarian or domineering perhaps a specific sin trait of males, right? Instead, over and over again, we see that this humble male leadership is one that serves and listens and cares. It's gentle and sacrificial. It's humble like Christ. This is God's idea. And so we must believe it is good for us and for our flourishing as men and women in the local church take up their complementary roles for the glory of God and the good of the church. So that's all I'm going to say about that today. There's plenty we can continue to talk about there. For today, notice the role of elder is for men, but not for every man, right? It's for qualified men. So that's why Paul lays out this list. God doesn't just entrust his bride to just any dude, right? But to one who has integrity and compassion and gentleness. And and as you look at this list in 1 Timothy 3, you'll find that most of these characteristics are things that every Christian should actually seek and pursue, right? However, I think part of the point of this list for elders is that elders are to be the tip of the spear in these matters. Setting an example of godly living, Christ-like holiness. Elders are not perfect. In fact, elders should be the first to admit they are not. But elders should be exemplary, worthy of imitation. In this list we see how elders should have a good reputation, how they should approach manners matters of conflict with gentleness and peacemaking, how they should love God above all other things, how they should be tested and proven, right? Not a new convert. Here at Loudon Valley Baptist Church, we seek to be careful by nominating elders at a members meeting and then giving the congregation time, 3 months in fact. For you all, the church family, to get to know that man, have him over for dinner, pray for him, get him for coffee, hear his testimony, hear him teach, consider his nomination prayerfully. Because we should not be hasty in the importance of those who we elect to lead us. They must be qualified men. You'll notice, however, that one of the qualifications here in 1 Timothy 3 that doesn't necessarily apply to every Christian is the ability to teach, right? The elder must be able to handle God's word and effectively communicate it to others. So that leads us to our second point. Here it is. Elders are teachers and defenders of sound doctrine. Elders are teachers and defenders of sound doctrine. So turn with me just a few pages past 1 Timothy to Titus. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. This is, again, a letter written by Paul and again to another church pastor named Titus. And look with me, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says this to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, or elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So far, this sounds a lot like the list we just looked at in 1 Timothy 1, right? Or 1 Timothy 3. But Paul goes a little bit further. He continues and says that the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he may be able to, one, give instruction in sound doctrine, and also, two, to rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul is saying that the elder must rightly handle God's truth for two purposes. That he might teach it rightly and he might rebuke it rightly or rebuke those who who oppose it rightly. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathers the elders from the church in Ephesus and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. You know, we've had a a lot of pop-up thunderstorms recently, right? Which I'm a fan of, unless they come through my ceiling. Uh, perhaps you've gotten then those alerts, those beep-beep alerts on your phone saying, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase, look to the skies and find cover, right? Something like that. And if you think, here, here Paul is giving a sort of spiritual forecast to the church elders in Ephesus. And he's saying, look to the flock. Wolves are coming. Elders are teachers of sound doctrine. They teach and defend the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, where he is now, when, or not when, but that he's coming back, right? Back in the first century, as Paul wrote these words, and even up till today in the 21st century, there are those who would seek to distort and pervert sound, healthy doctrine about Jesus. Maybe they'll say something like, Jesus wasn't truly God. Uh, He appeared to be, he was was invested with God-like authority and power, but he was actually kind of a superhuman. Or they may say something like, Jesus is good. Jesus saves. But you also have to add this and this and this to truly find favor with God. Or they may say there's really no literal hell. And so eventually, God's just going to save everyone. These are wolves. They undermine the gospel message, they attack the purity of the church. And so it is the elders' job to teach what is true and rebuke what is false, to guard the sheep and beat back the wolves even if they arise from our own ranks. Friends, elders must be rooted in God's word and in a way skilled in its teaching so they can refute and teach well. But notice that the authority behind them is the real power, not just the ability possessed by them. The authority behind every elder is the word of God. The elder is simply to teach and facilitate the understanding of the word. It is God's word that will be used by God's spirit to grow God's church. It is God's word that will be used by God's spirit to grow God's church. So that means you don't necessarily need flashy, influential, powerful, CEO-type elders in your church. You need elders who will give you God's word consistently and without distraction. I think every pastor, at times, feels tempted to be popular, to be followed, to be retweeted. But every pastor must speak not from his own wisdom alone, but from the very word of God. I've said it before, this is why many of you who are older than me, sometimes over twice as old as me, still can sit willingly under my teaching. Because ultimately, you know and you trust that I'm not teaching simply from what I've learned over 33 years or what I've experienced as an adult, which is 15 years. But your trust and my goal is to present to you what God says and what God has revealed in His Word. Elders are teachers and defenders of God's truth, not just propounders of our own latest ideas. Thirdly then, elders are humble shepherds. Elders are humble shepherds. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter and chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. not for money not in an overpowering abusive manner but elders must lead and shepherd willingly eagerly hopefully elders are shepherds peter says and shepherds don't browbeat the sheep but serve the sheep they lead and protect and comfort and bless Elders love what Jesus loves. So I quoted before from Acts 20, where Paul tells the Ephesian elders some encouragements before he leaves them. And and he says at one point that the Ephesian elders are to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Jesus loves his church. He loves his church so much he shed his blood for his church. He purchased his church, you and me, brothers and sisters, by his own life. And as his under-shepherds, elders are to love what he loves and care for what he cares for. One of the chief ways elders do this is through prayer, interceding for the members of the church before the Lord of the church. We see an example of this at the end of James, in James chapter 5, where he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Elders are shepherds who willingly experience the weaknesses and fears and sorrows and joys and successes of the sheep along with them, not leading domineeringly from above, but leading in the trenches alongside. And so elders must be humble and gentle, like Jesus, the chief shepherd, who called himself gentle and lowly in heart. So what then about elders who exercise their authority abusively? I think many of you have seen it. What do you do then? What do you think then? I think, first of all, you remember that elders are primarily sheep before their shepherds. And so elders, too, can go astray and sin. And sadly, when elders sin, their sin is even Packed with more collateral damage than when a mere church member sins, right? When an elder sins, he leads others often into that sin with him. So, as we saw last week, the congregation has authority in those times to discipline an elder who would lead them astray. Elders are not to be followed blindly. In fact, it is your duty... If you hear me speaking things that are outside the line of the gospel, or if I've turned from the gospel, to fire me quickly. Elders are not to be followed blindly. And this is why it's important to pray and consider who we put in these positions. That's why it's important to encourage elders to not try to maintain an exterior of holiness so they can keep their jobs, but to be vulnerable and open to others so they can remain honest and accountable. But I think when it comes to abuse of authority, the fact that it is called abuse shows, and this is obvious, but shows that it is not a right use of authority. Authority is good. Ab-use of authority is bad. As sin always does, it takes a good thing, the use of authority, and it perverts it, making it abusive, using it to harm and hurt when it should be shepherding and comforting. And so, since abuse of authority is kind of a a sinful riff, riffing off of the goodness of authority, we must be careful and wise to not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because some abuse their authority, and that's heinous and should be addressed, doesn't mean authority in and of itself is inherently abusive, even in the church. But what about when all this happens? What about when you're in a church and you're abused by those in leadership? Ultimately, dear brothers and sisters, when elders fail you, you must turn to the chief shepherd, to the one who laid down his life for the sheep. Jason read it for us earlier, didn't he? Jesus' words here are immensely comforting to broken sheep when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Church, the role of the elder ultimately is to point you to the chief elder, the chief shepherd. The author, Jared Wilson, describes a conversation he as a teacher in the church might have with someone maybe after a church service where the person comes up and says, oh, you're the preacher. Yes. Oh, so you're the guy with all the answers. No, I'm the guy who points to that guy. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, the joy of the gospel is that when we had denied God and his plan, when, he had pursued our own, when we had pursued our own glory instead of his, he pursued us like a shepherd does his sheep. And Jesus hung on the cross like a lamb slain under God's wrath so that your sin could be washed away. And the wrath you deserve from the judge would be absorbed instead by your shepherd. Friend, you can turn to Jesus today be welcomed by a humble gentle shepherd find salvation and new life in him and church church family authority is a good thing for you elders are a good thing for you this is why in our church covenant we promise that we will gladly cooperate with and submit ourselves to the elders of this church for the care of our souls which is for our good Back in 2 Samuel, chapter 23, we see the final words of King David. And, and in his final words, he gives us this wonderful vision for the potential fruitfulness and blessing of good leadership. This what he says. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So church, it is my prayer that the elders of Loudon Valley Baptist Church lead in the fear of God so we might be a blessing to you, so that we might in some small way nourish you like the sun on a cloudless morning, nourish you like rain, in the grass. Church elders are qualified men, teachers and defenders of sound doctrine, and humble shepherds. So in conclusion then, let me give you a few words of application. So if this is what the Bible teaches about elders in the local church. Three things real quick, and then we'll be done. First, pray for your elders. Paul, again, when he's addressing the Ephesian elders in Acts 28, gives one of the most sobering verses to church leaders in all of Scripture when he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Elders must be attentive to their own spiritual health before they can ever hope to help the members of their churches. The old Scottish preacher of the early 19th century, Robert Murray McShane, put it famously when he said, The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. So, Loudon Valley, pray for your elders. Pray for Jack and myself that we would love Jesus above all things. Pray that we would look more like Jesus so we can help you look more like Jesus. It is a, a devious temptation of the devil. To get elders to think so much about the spiritual fruitfulness of their church that they forget the spiritual nourishment they need in their own souls. Pray that we would avoid that trap of the evil one. Second, submit to your elders. Again, of course, I feel the need to say I'm not talking about blind submission to abusive leadership. Abuse is real. It must be exposed and addressed. But the normal posture of a healthy church, and there are thousands of them across this nation, the normal posture of a healthy church is a gentle group of shepherds leading a flock of submissive sheep. So seek to have a humble posture towards the elders of this church. I read from 1 Peter chapter 5 a moment ago, and Peter continues on right after that passage we read, and he says, "'Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders.'" Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, church family, Jack and I desire to lead you in humility and prayerfulness, so by all means, when you see us going off the rails, when you hear me make a a heretical slip in a sermon, rebuke us, come up, challenge us in those ways, but normally seek a posture towards our leadership that is one of submission, that works for unity, not division, What a beautiful picture it would be in a church as elders strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to be gentle and nurturing. And the congregation by the power of the Holy Spirit seeks to be submissive and receivers of nurture. Third and finally, be equipped by your elders. Be equipped by your elders. So in Ephesians 4, Paul makes it clear that pastors, along with other church leaders he mentions, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So believe me, one of, if not the greatest joy I get from being an elder of this church is when I hear through the grapevine or through one of you that a member of this church took initiative, went out of their way to start discipling another. Or a member of the church has told me they pray through the directory and they try to contact people in the directory to see how they can pray for them during that day or that week. Or when I see one of you or two of you talking with another member after the service and, and hearing how their week went terribly and just saying, let's just sit down in this pew and just pray together right now. That's what I hope it looks like for the sheep to be equipped for the ministry by the shepherd. See, the, the, the gospel growth of Loudon Valley Baptist Church is not ultimately the responsibility of the elders. Uh, The elders have the responsibility to equip the church as a whole to do it together. You do the work of the ministry. The elders humbly seek to come alongside you, do it with you, and equip you for it. So, pray, submit to, be equipped by your elders. Do it for the glory of Christ, who is our chief shepherd, and who will one day come back for his sheep and bring us home forever let's pray lord we thank you for the gift of the church that you purchased with your own blood we thank you for designing it for your glory and our good we pray for the elders of this congregation jack and myself you'd make us humble shepherds of this beautiful flock We ask that you would raise up more qualified men who would be able to teach and and steward your authority in this body of believers. And we pray for the members of this church. Lord, we pray that our relationship between authority and different authority structures in this local church would be one in gentleness, submission, humility, and joy as we seek to hold on to the gospel that unites us together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.